You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Dan Bear's interview with the writer and director for Black Bear, Lawrence Levine. You're Allison? Yeah. You're Gabe? Hi, I'm Allison. Oh, I know. I'm Blair. You're really pretty. You are too. You used to be an actress, and now you're a director. Why'd you give it up? I didn't. So do you guys have a plan for this place? I don't really know what we're doing. We were living in Brooklyn, and it was getting so expensive. And we weren't really working, so. I figured if um, I never learned how to cook, then I would never become a housewife. You're really hard to read. Yeah, you know what? I get that all the time. Do you find it weird acting in your own films? I actually find it kind of humiliating. Roll sound. Mark. Okay, whenever you're ready. Action. You don't think she knows what I'm up to? She's oversimplifying a lot. It's just so rare to pick a real artist's brain. How can you make something if you don't have anything to say? I have something to say. I just think the movie is the only way to say it. It's like she can't stand the fact that I have a single thought about this world. No, it's that I can't stand the thoughts about the world that you have. This has been so fun. You don't love me anymore. Leave me alone! Now I'm wondering what kind of mind games you're playing with me. He's my husband, okay? Blair, can you just calm, can you calm down a little bit? Me? I've been lying since the second I got here. (laughs) You're in love with her, you are, I know it. This is what you wanted, okay? This was going to ruin us. Okay, cut. I just want to be normal people again. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are talking with Lawrence Levine, the writer and director of Black Bear. Lawrence, where are you today, and how are you holding up? I'm in Los Angeles, California, and I'm holding up very well, thank you. I got a little back thing going on, but uh, (laughs) other than that, I'm cool. Good. Injured, Injured myself, ironically, lifting a Pilates reformer. Oh, which I do to help my back. Of but, course. <laughs> but I had to move it. I do Pilates to help my back, but I had to move the reformer and I hurt my back. That, that does not sound like the optimal way to do that. <laughs> I think um, it's ironic. Yeah, it is. But here we are, month 837 of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm. And we are in a place where we are unable to escape ourselves, our worst selves, often staring back at us from the mirror. Um, Mm. And this is a lot of what Black Bear is about. Did you imagine when you wrote this back years ago that it would feel quite this relevant when it finally came out? I I didn't, when I was writing it, I didn't know if it would come out at all. Um, Mm. I was writing from a place that was very um, exploratory and, and uh, personal. I'd been doing a lot of uh, writing for hire in Hollywood and I was itching to do something more wild and creative. And uh, I did this movie without any, any thought of an audience or any world that it might, uh, might play to. So, so the answer is no. <laughs> 
<laughs> so you wrote this originally in 2017. It's yeah. been quite a journey from that point. Um, yeah. When you finished writing it, how long did it take to actually get the thing up to the point where you were filming it? Um, I think it took at least a year, um, maybe a year and a half for the money to come together. Uh, so I was quite convinced in that time that it was never going to be made and had moved on to other projects. It kind of came as a great surprise one day when uh, my manager called me up and said that, uh, that he thought he had found some financiers who'd be interested in making the film. Um, again, I thought it was never going to happen. And then did you have to, I imagine, because it feels like it's something that came from a very personal place. And when you go back to direct this after, you know, writing it and sort of putting it aside and thinking, well, that's not going to happen. Was it difficult to get back into that headspace to direct it at that point? No, uh, no, because every time I make a film, I try to uh, try to uh, address the material like I'm a director mm -hmm. for hire and I'm not the writer of the mm -hmm. script. Um, it's just like a method that I use that really helps me, um, be more open-minded to my collaborators because it's one thing to dream up a movie alone in your office or, or wherever. Um, and it's another to bring a bunch of people on board and share your vision with them and allow them to enhance it. So, um, I kind of just approach like a blank slate, like I'm reading it for the first time and, um, I'm analyzing it in the same way I would. Uh, you like you would analyze the script yeah. or the movie if you read it. Very cool, very cool. Um, this is it's a really interesting movie. It's one of those things where it has no, it offers no answers to any questions you have, and it's open to multiple interpretations. And I'm always curious what people who wrote, especially both wrote and directed these kinds of movies, was that always your intention or did you have a very clear vision of what you know it's really about or is it kind of both um i feel that i know what it's really about uh mm -hmm. but i i don't I, I feel that it's cheapens the experience of watching the movie to to kind of just lay it out for everybody mm. so um the answer is yes I have a feeling of what it's really about, but that doesn't that doesn't preclude the audience from member from finding their own conception of the movie. I, I definitely had it in mind um, that it could be open to many interpretations, sort of like a dream. Yeah, it does have that kind of dreamlike quality to a lot of it, um, especially with that repeated shot of Aubrey sitting on the. Um, on the on the deck, surrounded yeah. by all that great fog. This whole thing was shot on location, I think, in upstate New York, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, how did you get that that shot? Since it's such an important piece of the movie, I imagine it was oh, it took a while to make sure you got it right. The shot of her looking out on the lake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, every every morning uh, there there was uh, that mist rolled in over the lake. Oh. And usually that was exactly when we finished shooting because we, we had to shoot overnights. We couldn't afford to tent the house. And uh, what that meant was that every night we had eight hours to shoot. And the second the sun started to come up, um, we had to stop. 
But what we noticed was that this beautiful mist, well, often we'd be finishing around six in the morning, which is exactly mm. dawn. And we noticed that this beautiful mist was, was coming over the lake. And we were like, we have to get this. Um, but we were always so tired <laughs> that uh, we just couldn't bring ourselves to until I think it was Aubrey's last, last day that we, we were like, it's now or never. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we had to push on past our. Oh, our wow. Uh, One of the last things you shot. Uh, and maybe possibly the last thing we shot. Wow. That's incredible. And it all came together. So the last just... thing was Aubrey. Last thing with Aubrey. Cause she yeah. had to leave a day or two before the other cast. It's, it's a really, really stunning image that is so important to the film. And it looks great. The film has this dedication for Sophia mm-hmm. and I don't presume, but you are married to Sophia Takal, who is a very accomplished actor and director and mm-hmm. writer, sometimes herself. Um, and given the nature of the relationships in this movie, mm-hmm. what was her reaction when you showed her the script and uh, the finished film? I, I think it was. I think it was hard for her um, mm. to to separate. Uh, not, nothing in that film uh, that happens in that film happened in reality. Mm. Um, but, uh, but I think it's still upsetting for, for, I think it was probably upsetting for her at first to see the movie. Um, but the reason that I dedicated the film to her is that I probably wouldn't have made any films uh, at all if she hadn't come into my life. Uh, so I felt that it was only right. Um, she, she was initially, um, supposed to produce the film, but had to go and shoot her movie Black Christmas in New Zealand. And she wasn't able to be on set, um, which was hard, hard for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, I also was, you know, I was inspired by her to make films in the first place. And they're one of the few solaces in my life. The ability to make, to make these films is one of the, one of the few, uh, bright spots in my existence. So I just felt that um, it was, it was, it felt really right to me to dedicate the movie to her since um, she really helped bring this gift into my life. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, And for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? 
and was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. That's really wonderful. That's really wonderful. That's special. And you guys have worked on a, a number of films together. So I, I would yeah, imagine we, that we not, continue to. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine that not having, is that, do you have a sort of working relationship that is separate from the personal relationship where you're constantly going back and forth when you're working on a film? Um, I don't think it's separate. Uh, no, I, it doesn't feel separate. And sometimes that's a problem. So, um, you know, the intensity of working together is obviously ratcheted up to an extreme in the second part of Black Bear. Yes. Uh, but, um, but I am familiar with those hardships. Um, it's very different to work with a loved one uh, than it is to work with anybody else. Yes, that is very true. And it's something that the the second half of the film goes into in in increasingly, I would say, demented and interesting ways. <laughs> I'll <laughs> um, take that as a compliment. <laughs> it, it, it was meant as one. I, I have to ask, since this is such a meta style of film, and you know, you have fantastic actors and fantastic actors playing crew members on the movie in the second half. But since so much of this is playing with reality and what's not reality, and there is no wrong answer to this question, was the alcohol on set real? No. <laughs> That's probably for the best. No, it's true. It wasn't real. <laughs> Aubrey doesn't drink. Ah, very, very good to know. That should be more impressive. That is very impressive because she, a, especially that that final scene, the climactic scene when she is. So that is such a believably, it's such a believably ratcheted up performance, mm-hmm. especially for someone who doesn't drink. Um, and I was reading in the press notes that that you ended up shooting that. It sounded like that scene in much less time than you had planned. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, we, we, so the part of the film after she's come down from upstairs and has to do one more take that culminates in her vomiting, uh, that section of the movie, we had about 20 minutes to shoot and that's was crazy. The reason was that the, the actress in the film, Paola, uh, got sick and had to go to the hospital. Um, there was something wrong with her and we needed her for the scene. So um, it was a question of whether she was going to return at all. And if we were even going to be able to shoot it, um, which would have been a total disaster for the production, but miraculously she got there just in time and miraculously Aubrey did the scene in two takes. Two takes. Yeah. Wow. That is especially impressive. And miraculously Rob uh, Leitzel, the DP was on point. The focus was not soft. Yeah, no. <laughs> to be shooting in that kind of, in that very enclosed space where you don't really have a lot of room to move, it was 20 minutes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't imagine. It was um, crazy. 
Yeah. And you have a lot of these shots in the film where you're, you know, you're filming a movie of people filming a movie. Did that offer more difficulty than other, like the scenes in the first half where you're just filming people as they're going about their life? No, it offered less difficulty because we oh, could really? just film all our equipment and didn't matter. Walk out <laughs> in, yeah, I was going to ask was, you to just use all the extra equipment lying around. and It was much easier. And my attitude about it was the more that you see, the better. So Nice. All my questions, except for one. Um, which is something I always ask. What was what was your favorite moment on set when shooting this film? I, probably it was the moment we already discussed where we got yeah. that scene together in 20 minutes because it was uh, a huge relief. And well, there was a huge anxiety coupled with a huge relief when we actually got what we needed. I mean, there was just a sort of giddiness between, I know me and the DP were very giddy that we got that scene. I don't know if anybody else was on top, how on, or how on top of how desperate that situation was. Um, but I love shooting. I really love shooting. Once we start shooting the film within the film, I, I, I really loved shooting that part of the movie. It was, um, it was, it was really exciting and fun and the actors kept blowing me away. Um, and they were cracking me up. I was, you know, I was laughing during takes and they had to stop and they had to cut. And it was, it was really a pleasure. Yeah. That's great. Well, especially that part of the movie is hilarious and it's a pleasure to watch. So thank you for the film. Um, thanks for sitting down with us today. What is next for you? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, Sophia and I have a couple things that we're, um, we're casting. Uh, and then um, I'm attached to uh, something else to direct that's casting. And I'm also writing my next movie as well. So um, there's a lot going on. Stay tuned. If we're ever able to shoot films again, which it's looking like we are <laughs> going to be able to. Yes. Um, which is exciting. Um, yeah. This feels like very fertile creative ground for yeah all the, for all sorts of films and plays and tv shows yeah mm -hmm. well looking forward to it thank you so much for again for your time and thanks for the film thanks a million dan hey everyone thank you so much for listening to dan bear's interview with the writer and director for black bear lawrence levine here on the next best picture podcast we are part of the evergreen podcast network and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts if you're feeling generous, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review there. Drop us a comment, rate us five stars. And if you want to take it a step further, head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you will get exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because 
The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.